Good morning, America. You are listening to Percolating Perspective, the podcast that offers you some perspective on America. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Happy President's Day. Today, we look at this uniquely American holiday and celebrate not all presidents, but specifically one president, born on February 22nd. And he just happens to be my hero. This is going to be a very exciting show, and I cannot wait to get it going. But first, it's 1950 in Quincy, Massachusetts, the same town where 115 years earlier, founding father and President John Adams was born, and his son John Quincy Adams was born several years later. It's a gray, snowy day out, and after several reluctant turns of the starter, your old Plymouth sedan fires off and is ready to motor you into town to start your morning. Passing by the old house's carefully manicured hedges now covered in snow, and several American flags standing proudly in not only the neighbor's yard, but also the schoolyard and the courthouse lawn on the way in. Being careful not to slide off the road onto the sidewalk, you come to the stop sign, teeth still chattering, waiting anxiously for the car heater to finally get the interior up to a reasonable temperature. But there's one thing that can help you get your body temperature up, and it's only a few blocks up the road. Make sure you look both ways, ease off the clutch, and after those few blocks parade out of sight into the rearview mirror, you're finally at the right place to thaw your insides and get your mitts around a cup of hot black coffee and a delicious chocolate cake donut. The stand called Open Kettle is the pride of the working man's morning in Quincy. Delicious coffee and simple donuts that are sure to get you firing on all uh, get you firing on all cylinders. After all, in the hometown of a president, there's nothing more American to start off a work day than stuffing your gullet with sweet, flaky donuts and washing it down with a black cup of the American dream. Today on Percolating Perspective, in honor of President's Day and the most American breakfast shack from sea to shining sea, open kettle, or as we now know it, Dunkin' Donuts, we are wetting our mustache with a straight black cup of original Dunkin'. Oh, baby, that's good. There is no more exciting way to start your day than a donut and a cup of coffee. I remember when I was a kid, it was the best Saturday morning ever to go to our our local donut shop over in Crestview, Florida. And my dad would get a cup of coffee, and I would stuff as many chocolate-glazed donuts in my face as I could. And it was that was a mark of a good Saturday. In fact, I think the first day, the first time I remember going. Uh, to Good Things Donuts over in Crestview. We were on the way to my great-grandparents' house to do some work over there. But more on that in just a second. Um, actually, more on that right now. By the way, if you are listening in Massachusetts this morning uh, near the town of Southwick, there is an even better place to grab a donut, and it's called Mrs. Murphy's Donuts. And Miss Murphy was my great-grandmother. Miss Murphy's Donuts was uh, owned and operated by my family um, up in Massachusetts and Connecticut before that, near Hartford. Uh, but it is still owned and operated by my family in Southwick, Massachusetts. And I can promise you, their cannoli donuts that they just made mention of on their Facebook a few days ago, 
uh, will beat the dog stew out of anything the Dunkin' Donuts has to offer. So, if you're in Southwick, stop by and say hello and tell them that Gordon Porter down in Florida sent you. And they'll think of either one of two people, and that's either me or my grandfather. Both have the same name. But today is President's Day, and President's Day isn't necessarily to honor presidents, you know, all presidents, just for breathing. President's Day was started to honor one man, the father of our beautiful country and my hero of all heroes, George Washington. Kind of an interesting story. Um, When George Washington was born back in 1731, the American colonies had not yet adopted what we call the Gregorian calendar, which accounts for, uh, or it does not account for leap years. I'm sorry, the Gregorian calendar calendar does account for leap years. Uh, But reason being, we hadn't adopted it yet, was the Gregorian calendar was of Catholic origin and had not been accepted by many Protestant countries and colonies in 1731. But Washington was born under what was referred to the Julian calendar, and that calendar did not take into consideration leap years. But at that time, all of the British Empire ran on the Julian calendar, uh, and even its colonies, like Pope Creek, Virginia, where my hero, Washington, was born. And on the Julian calendar, he was born on February 11th. But with the Gregorian calendar that we now use, that again accounts for leap years, Washington was born on February 22nd, the day that we now celebrate as his birthday. It wouldn't be for another 150 years or so, though, until Washington's birthday was memorialized by an act of Congress in 1789, well after the Civil War. Initially, it was only recognized by a few governmental offices and agencies, but uh, we won't hold that against them. I mean, I might. You might not, but I might hold it against them. But, okay, Gordon, why is this holiday so special, and what is your deal with George Washington? Why are you so fascinated with him? Well, honestly, it would take me dozens of episodes to really go into depth on what makes George Washington so incredible and worthy of admiration. But we'll at least try to scratch the surface on that this morning in honor of his birthday. But to answer your first question, why is this holiday so special, we must consider our government and its uniqueness. Every 4th of July, we celebrate a world record. That record being the longest any country has ever operated under a single constitution. People often think that stability in government is a normal thing, but it wholly is not. In fact, many of our allies that have adopted a Western way of life, such as South Korea or Poland, they completely upend and scrap their constitutions on a regular basis. And, you know, that's the entire means by which they govern. And they do this almost as often as once a decade, if not more often. So please understand that despite what you will hear on other podcasts this morning, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, America is absolutely exceptional. And I don't mean in the way that Barack Obama did. He said that he believed America was exceptional, but in the same way that someone from India would believe that India is exceptional or somebody from Great Britain thinking that Great Britain is exceptional. 
America is exceptional in the sense that there truly never has been a country anything like it and never will be another like it. We break records every day, whether that's gross domestic product, whether that's how long our Constitution has been standing, whether that's you know how many peaceful transitions of power we have had in the past 250 years. America is, is exceptional on every metric. Every metric. America, to quote my friend Chris Flannery, is endlessly fascinating. What a wonderful way to put that. But President's Day is uniquely American because it honors a man who was instrumental in establishing a country that would alter the course of history forever. And we honor and revere George Washington as the father of our country. But why? Well... Uh, there's many reasons, and those reasons will answer your second question, which is, what is my deal and love affair with George Washington? Well, George Washington was just a man. I make no bones about that. Of course, he was not deity, although, yeah, he wasn't deity. I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, he was outwardly an ordinary man. Inwardly, though, he was a giant capable of anything because he had found the secret to having God's divine providential protection on him. In the book of James, in the Bible, I believe it's in chapter 7, we read that God resists the proud. That means that our pride, or our belief that we don't need God and that we can do just fine on our own, will result in God giving you what you think you want. God will resist you and leave you alone and leave you to your own devices. Washington well understood this, and as a result, he humbled himself before Almighty God, and as a result of that, God didn't resist him, but rather embraced him and carried him through enormously tumultuous times. We can read this humility for ourselves. Luckily for us, Washington kept a prayer journal and I would encourage you to, to, to do the same, and I've tried to start doing that myself. And, you know, prayer does not have to be a verbal thing. You know, we pray in our minds all the time. And so writing a prayer, I think, is just as, uh, you know, just as impactful with God, or at least God still bends his ear to writing a prayer. But I think it also leaves a stamp in time of, you know, a person having a relationship with God. And had Washington not done that, and had many others not done that in history, for example, Juan de Ponce de Leon, we would have never known, or at least would have been skeptical that they had a relationship with God, but we have hard evidence that they did. Um, but again, luckily for us, Washington kept a prayer journal, so we can see firsthand his relationship that he had with God. And just for the sake of time, I'll give you... Uh, I won't read all of his entries. In fact, I won't even read the whole of one entry because they're long. Uh, his He took his prayer life seriously. Uh, but I'll give you one of the more, what I think is the most fascinating ep ex excerpts from one of his daily entries. Um, but this particular entry came after a Sunday morning church service. And he had sat through the preaching for a little over an hour, and rather than losing focus, swatting flies, watching the clock, and yawning, Washington did what God wants us all to do, and that was he took God at his word, at face value, 
and changed his life accordingly. And all that said, this was Washington's prayer to God that he wrote after listening to a sermon at church. Quote, O most glorious God, in Jesus Christ, my merciful and loving Father, I acknowledge and confess my guilt in the weak and imperfect performance of the duties of this day. I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins, but so coldly and carelessly that my prayers are become my sin and stand in need of pardon. I have heard thy holy word, but with such deadness of spirit that I have been an unprofitable and forgetful hearer, so that, O Lord, though I have done thy work, yet it hath not been so negligently that I may rather expect a curse than a blessing from thee. But, O God, who art rich in mercy and plenteous in redemption, mark not, I beseech thee, what I have done amiss. Remember that I am but dust, and remember my transgressions, negligences, and ignorances, and cover them all with the absolute obedience of thy dear Son, that those sacrifices which I have offered may be accepted by thee in and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered upon the cross for me. For his sake... Ease me of the burden of my sins, and give me grace that by the call of the gospel I may rise from the slumber of sin into the newness of life. End quote. Wow. And that's just a, that's a paragraph of many in one prayer. Uh, first of all, let's do some self-examination here while I take a quick sip of coffee. I want you to ask yourself, do you pray like that? I don't. I wish I did. Our country is going down the tubes, and that kind of prayer will be the only thing that solves it. Are you starting to see what my deal is with Washington now? No? Okay, I'll give you more. Don't twist my arm. Now, lots of people take issue with the fact that Washington owns slaves, and they cast aspersions on him for that. Owning slaves is nothing to ignore, so let's take a look at that. A few key things to remember here, though, is that, number one, Washington inherited most of, uh, well, not most of all, but most of his slaves uh, in inheriting Mount Vernon from his older brother. The slaves came with that inheritance. And unfortunately, Virginia law forbade anyone from freeing slaves at the time. You could sell them. However, in Washington's eyes, that didn't solve the problem. That didn't grant them their freedom. Now, we did know that Washington did buy slaves uh, in addition to his inheritance. Over the course of his life, though, he came to the realization that that was not only wrong, but sinful. So, he did the best he could do with what he had, meaning he could not free them legally, and he treated the slaves at Mount Vernon with respect and his hired help. And while there's really no real record of uh, you know, him paying them or anything like that, we do know that their living expenses were all paid by Mount Vernon and Washington in exchange for their work. Again, Virginia law forbade him from freeing his slaves, um, but they did allow for Virginians to free their slaves upon their death. And Washington did exactly that. And just to solidify Washington as a hero and a giant among giants, Washington stated in a letter to John Mercer 
on September 9th of 1789 that he supported the United States developing legislation to abolish slavery altogether. And this was, you know, just a couple of months before he became president in November of 1789. It's important for you and I, though, to take history with context. And we have to view it through the lens of the time in which the people we are studying lived in. Slavery is evil. I make no bones about that, of course. And as we've covered on the show before, the Bible expressly condemns it. Um, but to provide some example of what I'm talking about here as far as context, a very controversial today uh, topic today is abortion. And 50 years from now, abortion will be looked at as barbaric and satanic. Mark my words. There are a couple of different factions, though, of people in the, in the United States today as it relates to abortion, and that was also the case with slavery. One of which of these factions is the Shout Your Abortion crowd, mostly in Hollywood. Uh, but this is the crowd that looks at abortion not as a necessary evil, but as a ritualistic practice that someone should be proud of. Kind of like cult practices and witchcraft. I know it's shocking to compare Lena Dunham to a witch, mainly because I don't think there's a broomstick in all of Transylvania that would hold that witch up in the air. And... <laughs> It's, it's not fat-shaming to say that, right? It would be fat-shaming to say something like Lena Dunham would consider witchcraft only because it opens up the menu to boiled frogs and deep-fried eye of Newt. <laughs> okay. Okay, I've had my fun. I'm, I'm getting off topic here. But this faction of Shout Your Abortion would be akin to slaveholders in Washington's era holding parades and holidays to celebrate the institution of slavery which, by all accounts, did not happen. Uh, another faction in the abortion discussion is the group that says that abortion is a necessary evil, but it should be safe, legal, and rare. This is what we were told by the Clintons, for example, back in the 1990s. This was the pitch by the Democrats back in the 90s was safe, legal, rare, safe, legal, rare. Uh, they have moved far off of that goalpost, but that's neither—that's not our topic for today. Um, but this crowd, based off their own argument, knows it's wrong, but doesn't want to be the bad guy and tell people that they can't do what they want and that morality has no exceptions. This crowd would be most comparable to, honestly, several of the founders. Many believe that slavery was wrong, but believed that it was a necessary evil and something that had to be phased out slowly. They errantly believed, as does the faction with abortion, that morality was up to the individual to interpret. While it's true that morality is up to the individual to, to interpret out of the Bible, both abortion and slavery directly affect the life of another human being, meaning morality and biblical law exist to protect the rights of the victims in both of those scenarios. Then the final faction is the hard stance, the hard stance against faction. I would consider myself in this camp uh, on both slavery and abortion, of course. Um, this is the same camp that we would find William Wilberforce in. It's the same camp that John Adams was in. He was staunchly against slavery. He was, he hated it, and he believed it was evil. Coincidentally, that same camp is also the son that his son and Abraham Lincoln's mentor, John Quincy Adams, was in. 
It's the same camp that John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, eventually found himself in, a former slave ship captain. It's also the camp that George Washington eventually came to as well. Now, getting back to why George Washington is incredible, his humility played another major part in his founding role. After the American Revolution, the American people were clear they wanted Washington to rule the new country, but uh, not only did they want him to rule, they wanted him to be king. Do people ever learn? People are people. People have always had the same reaction to things. We fought an entire war to get out from underneath a tyrant and a monarch, a king, and the first thing the American people do after winning the war and winning their independence is ask Washington to be their king. I love Washington, and I think, you know, I think of all people ever born outside of Jesus Christ, I think he was the most humble and probably the most able to hold that role. But even, I mean, that's insane. Why would you, after fighting a war to get rid of a king, why, why, why would you ask that? But anyway, all that to say, do people ever learn? No. But Washington quickly rejected the offer, and he told the people that he would not rule over them, but God would rule over the United States. Coincidentally, Gideon said the same thing back in the Bible. He said, I will not rule over you, and Israel, uh, he just won the war against the Midianites and freed Israel from the slavery of the Midianites, and they asked him to be king. And Gideon said, nope, ain't going to do it, but God will reign over you. Washington did, however, accept the first job, uh, the job as the first president of the United States and was even elected to two terms unanimously. And after the war, King George said of George Washington that if he were to follow through on his promise to turn loose of the power of the presidency, he would be the greatest man who ever lived. And after two terms of president, Washington was ready to retire and go back, to home, back home to Mount Vernon which cemented himself into King George's Hall of the Greatest Men Who Ever Lived. This self-limit of two terms was then held by every president thereafter until Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1940s. Many presidents before FDR would say, if two terms was enough for a man as wise and as humble as George Washington, who am I to do more than he? Leave it to a Democrat to change that. I could go on for hours about Washington. Truthfully, I could. He really is my hero. And I don't, I don't say that hyperbolically at all. Um, to really boil down who he was, though, and to make application of everything we've been talking about this morning, I will tell you what Washington would tell you if he were alive today. Grow close to God. The closer you get to God, the more humble you will be. God is perfect. God is all-powerful. Jesus Christ is the spotless lamb given for our transgressions to atone for all of the human race's sins. Once you grasp that realization, you can't help but develop a sense of humility. The more you read your Bible and learn about the magnificence of our Creator, the more you pray and spend time with the Lord in prayer, the more you will recognize your inadequacy and the inability to live your life on your own. I think it's most fitting to say on today of all days, 
If you want the United States to survive and to beat back the devil, you must humble yourself as an individual. Washington witnessed some incredible things during his life, but specifically during the American Revolution. In fact, he once said about his time in the Revolution that the hand of Providence had been so inconspicuous, I'm sorry, had been so conspicuous in all of this that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith and more than wicked that has not gratitude enough, enough to acknowledge, acknowledge his obligations. In honor of George Washington on his birthday, I can give you the formula to be just like him. You must do these things and it daily, and it will change your life. Even if you don't want to be like George Washington, even if you're an idiot that doesn't want to be like George Washington, I encourage you, I implore you, and as your fellow American, I beg you to do these things every day. It will change your life, but it also will change the country. Number one, develop a relationship with your creator, and as a result, grow in your humility. Number two, be grateful. Be grateful for God's providence. Be grateful for his guiding hand that protects you day in and day out. Be grateful for your fellow American. Be grateful for your country. Number three, spend time in prayer every day. And spend that time in prayer not asking God for material things, but asking Him for mercy for your sin. Thank Him for your family. Thank Him for your country. And ask Him to teach you, teach you humility and give you wisdom. Some people are scared to ask for humility. Because, honestly, humility comes by the school of hard knocks. But humility is worth it. Humility, I have struggled with humility myself, uh, really since I was a teenager. I, I, I struggle with that, and I struggle with talking too much. And I work hard on that. That's one thing that I truly admire about George Washington and another president that you should take some time and do some research on Calvin Coolidge uh, from back in the 1920s. They were both quiet men. And that's something I aspire to be is quiet. Not reclusive, but ever-present. You know, you're not a hermit, but you just don't talk a lot. But the third point is to ask God to teach you humility and give you wisdom. The Bible says that he who, who lacks wisdom, ask of him that giveth uh, liberally. I'm butchering that, but... Essentially, the point is, if you want wisdom, you can have it, and God will give it to you. My fourth and final point in honor of Washington's birthday is read your Bible and apply it to your life. Every day, find some way to make your life look more like Jesus Christ's. Washington did that. Washington found that of utmost importance. In fact, he found that to be more important than being a first-rate general, more important than being president of the United States, more important than being called the father of our country. Washington was humble. 
he would not necessarily be super excited about having a national holiday to celebrate his birthday, which is honestly probably the reason why it took 150 years after his birth to make that happen, about 70 years after his death. Washington's uh, or Washington's birthday, excuse me, President's Day, used to be celebrated as Fourth of July, and you know, and later on, you know, Abraham Lincoln was also born in February. I think it was February seventeenth, if I'm not mistaken, and he was honored on the same day. But President's Day. I I don't know. It's a lot of people don't have off on President's Day. I'm I am lucky enough to be one of the ones that do, that does have off on President's Day. But if you are one of the ones that is that are lucky enough to have President's Day off, I encourage you to to revere this day similar to how you revere the Fourth of July, and not to uplift Washington as something more than just a man. Because he was just a man. He was fallible just like you and I. And we discussed some of his shortcomings today. But recognize and revere President's Day as a uniquely American holiday because our uniquely American holiday to honor a man honors him specifically because of his humility because of his closeness to God, because of his ability to bend God's ear and his divine protection that was granted him from God. In fact, before he was even in the Continental Army and when he was a a colonel for the British, there are stories of just clear divine protection, providence, where you know he would have multiple horses shot out from underneath him, you know bullet holes through his hat, through his jacket, and at the end of the day he's finding all these bullet holes and he's not even he doesn't even have a scratch on him. I fully believe that is because of his humility and because of his relationship with God. Now, before I leave you with it, I did want to let you know that I am speaking in an event in uh, South Walton County in Florida, um, April 5th at 1130. Go to Walton Republican Women Federated on Facebook, uh, and they have a link uh, on there where you can buy tickets and get their schedule for the year. And uh, at this event, I'll be teaching a very, very small part of my class uh, that I've written called Appeal to Heaven. Um, I'm very excited about this, uh, but uh, it's going to be we're going to be talking about Washington a little bit um, and just how important Christianity and the Bible is to America. Um, with that, America, I love you. Happy birthday, Mr. Washington. Happy President's Day, my fellow American. Run up a flag on the flagpole. Put out some bunting on your porch. Spend some time thinking today about the father of your country. God loved him. I I fully believe that. God loved George Washington. God loves America. America has done a lot of evil things. But America has done a lot of beautiful things. We made a covenant with God 
to build a country based on his truth, not ours. Again, America, I love you. Have a great day today. Enjoy some time with your family and spend some time thinking about George Washington today. God bless and I'll see you next week.